Hey everybody, great to be with you again. Uh, a lot of exciting things are happening in eternal leadership. Uh, we're growing, things are expanding. Uh, and I wanna just thank everybody so much for your great feedback. And if you could do me a favor and go into iTunes or wherever you listen to this and, and just leave us a review, or we're gonna hear, and we're about to have an incredible conversation with uh, Dr. Craig Thayer about real life miracles, things that are happening right now in the world, it is going to give you so much hope. And we're also going to talk about, you know, those times when it is hard. Why do we need a miracle? Because we are in a bad spot. And what do we do to get through those times of challenge, walking through that valley of resilience? So thank you guys for your support. Thank you guys for helping continue to get the word out there. And uh, Dr. Craig Thayer, Craig, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank you, John. Thank you for, uh, this is an honor for me being here. And thank you for your service, by the way, to the country. Well, my pleasure. I had a really fun job. So so they, they call you Tank. So uh, yes. call you Dr. Tank. So guys, uh, Craig is all in with his face as a Christian trauma surgeon. He is led at a very high level in different organizations. He's also uh, a motivational speaker. He's a co-host of a radio show. What's the name of the radio show, Craig? It's called Great Expectations. It's on uh, British Broadcasting Satellite, one of two channels, kind of like BBC for TV, but uh, but that's expanded since the 80s. But yeah, we're, and we're on tonight at 6 o'clock Pacific time. So if you looked up, uh, I think it's actually Raising Expectations, BBC uh, Radio, you, you'd find it at 6 o'clock tonight. So Raising Expectations, right? Yeah, yeah. Love that. So um, some of the things you've done with medical, with your, not only as a trauma surgeon, but medical missions and the stories of hope that you've seen of miracles, uh, things that uh, are just flat out inspiring, uh, just shows people, you know what, we're really in God's family. And we're, we're also going to be talking about some of the tragedies found in triumph and, and what you saw, what you learned in that to just even how to handle adversity. So with that, Craig, I'd love to maybe bring you back a little bit and just kind of tell us a little bit about kind of your journey, your story. All right. You know, on these medical mission trips, uh, we would ask people their testimonies to, you know, finding God and Jesus. And I would always think, okay, if I get asked that, I'd begin with my birth. And uh, and then I then I really reflected back and said, no, no, it actually began before that because my my natural mother was in Michigan, pregnant at six months. The church would have shunned her back in the 60s because she wasn't married. She was engaged. And her, her name is Mary. I mean, I'm, I'm, it just made me realize it's kind of like Mother Mary of Jesus. I'm, not that I'm Jesus, but you know, they, she was engaged to Joseph. And and they, to be shunned and actually, you know, worse than what my mom would have gone through. But so she moved out to California, had me in three months, had me for 10 days, gave me up for adoption. I was adopted at nine months by and the mandate of that adoption was that I'd be raised Catholic. Uh, and who who better than an Irish mom born in Cork, Ireland, came over when she was 21 and uh, met my dad. They couldn't have kids, so they they went through the adoptive process. So it wasn't foster care back then, so I was in, in an orphanage. And uh, so really my life began with God's purpose in the womb, right? Knitted, that's a biblical passage uh, for a purpose. And so that having been said, my mom 
being Irish had a great temper and uh, I, I seemed to like to rev it up. So <laughs> I, one week I'd argue one way and the next. And I, I always gave my dad the credit until I realized recently she was kind of the punching bag for me to learn how to be an empath. And, um, you know, I learned body language and tone of voice and the things my dad would talk about for an hour to two hour lecture of why well, you shouldn't behave this way. And then there was a moment when I, we realized that she was an alcoholic and uh, my first this AA is your adopted mom. mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then going to my first day meeting with her when I was 11 and that uh, moment of this one guy standing up and I was in the front row with my mom and uh, learning what these people's lives are like and further making me a better empath. And then junior year in high school was pivotal for me because it was realizing what I wanted to do in life, which is to help people work with my hands. And then anatomy physiology class, human body, crazy, intricate, can't be evolution. You know, Darwin couldn't describe the eye. It just was there. So medicine was the way I wanted to go. And I saw, I knew a calling at at 16. Then the end of my junior year, I get a twisted intestine. I played water polo and swam competitively and I was out. My coach didn't believe that I was in the hospital having surgery, came finally to visit. And um, and then college was crazy. So freshman year, my I get a phone call in the middle of the night, uh, and it's my dad telling me that my mom has passed away, so died from a heart attack. And then sophomore year, I'm coming around a corner on my bicycle, and a girl pulls out in front of me, and my problem, I was on the wrong side of the road, didn't think anybody would be out there 8 o'clock. 8 30 at night and um jack knifed the wheel went down to the pavement got up made sure she was okay and the next thing i remember sitting on a curb with an ambulance in front of me so a full concussion no memory you, you had a full concussion yeah yeah didn't remember i'm in the ambulance and they asked me what's your phone number and i'm like i don't know <laughs> i i couldn't i couldn't believe i couldn't but then as we pulled into the bay i'm like oh yeah it's this like i was so proud of myself i had my ear stitched they sent me home I had this fluid coming out of my ear and I couldn't hear out of it very well. So um, I called the health center again. They said some grad student answered like, I don't know. Is this, is what was the fluid coming out of your spinal fluid? So you cracked your skull. Good. Because I had, I had my, crack, crack I had a horse accident and I had a severe TBI yeah. and I had uh, CSF draining through my nose. Yeah, the nose or ear. Yeah, and so. I remember them telling me, "Hey, don't blow your nose." But it was so right. uncomfortable. I'm also loopy, so I blow my nose, which creates black pressure, and then I ended up right. getting meningitis. That's why they admitted for you. So uh, UC Davis was a quarter system, so it's ten weeks and then finals. So I was in that health center for two weeks on antibiotics until that sealed up, and that's twenty percent of a quarter. That's just crazy. That my. Um, you know, freshman year, my all-male floor, dorm floor, when I left to go back home for my mom's funeral, said he'll he'll never come back, you know. So same thing sophomore year. It's like he won't finish. And if I would have gotten out of series by even one quarter, I wouldn't have finished in four years. So, right. and that was my goal was to finish in four, apply to med school and get in and go. Then junior year, my dad's diagnosed with lung cancer. The miracle in that one was I was in an off-campus dorm and it was once one. It was three rooms in the living room. The two back rooms were two bed, you know, two bedroom. That was where I was with my roommate, and then uh, one suite in the front. And then uh, 
uh, it had a phone jack in the hallway. So for the folks that have never dealt with long distance phone calls before the age of cell phones, you had to pay for calling, you know, out of town. And so this phone jack didn't give us a bill. It didn't give the front desk or admin a bill, but I could call my dad every night uh, for that whole quarter or the whole year, actually. And then uh, he died that summer. And so senior year, I was on my own. And, um, you know, it's kind of a miracle I got into med school. I, I I applied to, I think, 18 schools and got 17 letters that were thin, meaning they're a rejection notice. And then the, the 18th was a thin one that said, congratulations, you've not been accepted. And I'm like, what kind of a joke is that? And reading on, it said, you're on a wait list. So, and then somewhere, probably about a month before med school would start, I was waiting for a phone call from a roommate to go pick him up. So I answered the phone, Craig's taxi service. And it was this lady saying, is Craig Thayer there? This is the UC Davis Med School. And I said, oh, just a second. Let me go find him. <laughs> Don't change my voice. Nice. Come back. back on your feet. Yeah, I come back in like 10 seconds, same voice. Yeah, yeah what's up? Congratulations, you've gotten in. You're, you know, you're accepted to UC Davis's Med School. So you know, God was looking out for me in that situation completely. Now, med school, I mean, there's so many different ways you could specialize. What was it that got you into being a, a trauma surgeon? Because, you know, we, you know, you watch all the the shows, right? These are the right. guys in the emergency right. room. I knew the trauma surgeons in the military. Right. I mean, that is a mindset and a skill set that seems to me to be kind of very unique and rare. Well, you got to be over blood. And which is interesting, I'm not over my own blood. So if, if I have to have blood drawn or get a stupid vaccination, I'm like, okay, last thing I want to do is pass out and pee on myself. So that'd be embarrassing. Who's passing out? It would out? be very oh, embarrassing. Oh, that's the trauma. Yeah, there it is. And I, I had that, I, not the near experience. Luckily, I coached this, but I, when I hit uh, was it 55, I think, you start looking for long term insurance. And I was told that I was too healthy because I'd only seen a doc for a colonoscopy, but I'd never had any labs and the 45 minute questionnaire they put you through was only 15 minutes because they were all, no, I'm not on any medications. So you know, they're like, we we deny you because you're too healthy. You need to go see a doc. So saw my primary care guy and he sent me to the lab. There's 18 tubes of blood they had to draw on the, and I, it was right at the end of a clinic. So I hate going out in public and scrubs because I feel like that's, being prideful and people are showing off and but I had to and I have my badge hanging over my left bicep which is right where the blood's going to get drawn and the student a person who's learning how to draw blood goes oh gee you're a doc oh my gosh she's starting to sweat you can see it and I'm like oh no this, this is going to be horrible I'm going to faint <laughs> do what I predicted right so but I coached her through it and uh, she got all eight vials so yeah I survived but to go back to your question, you know, high school, I thought I wanted to be a cardiac surgeon. That seemed really sexy. You see Dr. McDreamy on uh, Gray's Anatomy, and he's a neurosurgeon. Those are the two, like, big, you know, take forever to get through. And But then the, I, I set up my own acting internship uh, at a really busy uh, hospital in Sacramento with a cardiac guy. And for five weeks, instead of four, usually they're a block of four. So I took a week of my vacation or the end of school. And I realized, you know, that it's limited in what you have to do as far as thought. It's great technical and the work ethic 
the response you have to go like within minutes and seconds to save someone's life is huge and you stop a heart and restart it if you've ever done mechanics and worked on an engine and it didn't start you're like okay these things can go wrong but um another experience was at a va hospital where this patient had a lung cancer and it started to bleed into his trachea and he, he couldn't breathe and the internist medicine docs couldn't do the procedures to save his life and uh the surgical resident was stuck in the operating room so I said, I want to do uh, something that I can save someone's life in any situation. And that was general surgery. And and I trained at UC Davis, which sees the highest amount of blunt trauma in the United States. And so my trauma background was huge. And blunt trauma in car accidents or other? Yeah, things? car accidents. There's like five major freeways that all collide with themselves into Sacramento and then the surrounding area going to Tahoe. People run and, and, and lose control of the car, fall asleep and roll into the river or and then outlying areas like Folsom and kind of Roseville area. So it's, it's, it's all kind of blended in, but yeah. And then my mentor created, helped create, I mean, he's one of probably five that created the trauma system in the United States, Dr. Blaisdell. And then he moved to Sacramento to do the same thing. So all trauma was routed to our hospital. We'd see like 80 people a week or admit, not just see. So we'd have four different ICUs that we'd have patients in. My last day as an intern, I admitted 13 patients to the ICU. Back then, the interns took care of the ICU patients along with a third-year resident who was in that ICU at his own room uh, 24 hours a day. So you you had backup and stuff for procedures, but that's where I had to go. And you do 12 weeks of that in med school and um, either in four-week blocks, I did four weeks of anesthesia, mainly to learn how to put a tube in someone's trachea, intubate them and then breathe for them. So, which is what that patient needed with lung cancer. So, and then putting in certain lines, special lines that carry a large risk um, in your subclavian vein or in, you know, jugular thing and arterial lines, all those things you learn in anesthesia. So. I remember they I, had to go through my jugular vein to put a, like a, a filter in my heart because they're yeah. blood clots. Yeah, for clots, yeah. And I remember when they took that thing out through the jugular. Right. Oh my God, because I was not unconscious. No. Oh man, that was a fresh start. That was not pleasant at no, all. No, and it, yeah, you ever work in the neck oh. or the face, it's right next to people's ears. And they can you don't want to say oops or <laughs> oh yeah. Certain, there's certain things, especially when you're awake and you can hear everything. So well now yeah. in this, I and I know you okay, so you started there and you're seeing all these things. Where are some of the places where you were like there and you're like, okay, this is this person's not going to live, and uh, you could just see the hand of God in the outcome. You know, it's funny. I, I remember one of the the biggest cases I remember seeing as your second year. You're in the ER. You're 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 stationed only in the ER. You're the surgical consultant, and this poor homeless guy had been put. I'm sure someone poured gas on him, his pants, and. And he caught on fire. So his from his navel down was black. I mean, it was just like you, you put a chicken in a barbecue and left it there. You forgot about it and you go back and it's just going to crack when you move it. So that guy, because, you know, it's, those are what we call fourth degree burns. Um, you have to do an uh, escherotomy in order so they don't get a compartment syndrome. That person should have never lived. He did. There have been patients that had 
you know, some colonic perforation from a diverticuli that had just poo all over their belly. And uh, you clean all that out and they're sick. They're on four different medications to keep their blood pressure up and on a ventilator. And, you know, they're retaining fluids. So the lungs are getting stiffer and there's just no way. And then they turn around. We had a guy on the trauma service who was in a car accident who in January, end of January, four months on a ventilator. So he's completely weak. Now extubated, he could talk, but he's too weak to talk. So he's trying to write on a whiteboard. He has this question. And the trauma team was probably 20 people. We're all in this one ICU room. And we can't finally figure out what he's asking for. And he wanted to know who won the Super Bowl. Because <laughs> he was he got a car crash in January. Super Bowl was at the end of January that year. And that was his main question was, who won the Super Bowl? Because his brain was just asleep for four months. He has no memory of what happened. And he shouldn't have survived. Yeah. And then you think about the ones that 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 you thought, you know, I, this, this young lady, probably in her mid-20s, late-20s, husband and her coming down from Tahoe back home to the Bay Area. They crash. I mean, he literally comes in with the suitcases so they wouldn't be stolen out of his car. And a CT scan shows she's got a small liver laceration and some blood around it. But she's blood pressure is low, so they run out of the operating room to stop the bleeding. And I talked to the husband, look, you're in the best place she can be. Um, she's young. She's healthy. She should do fine. And I was completely wrong. I mean, I, I don't go to the OR because I'm still stuck in the ER as the second year resident. But then I find out later that she didn't make it off the table. Well, that's got to be hard. Yeah. Wow. There, are, there are moments that, you know, a, a father who had to, had to come down, his daughter's 21 weeks pregnant, so she's not got a viable baby at this point. 22 now. Back then it was closer to 28, 25, 26. So we could keep her alive. Well, it turns out she's brain dead. And so she gets transported to our hospital for that care. And we don't have a chance to ask the family, what do you want to do? So we just keep her alive until we can ask that question. But the family doesn't know yet. So you, you don't know what they know. So that's always my first question is, what do you guys know? And this is a room of probably 40 people that have now, you know, come to hear what's going on. And um, these no, 40 I'm people the, are all friends of hers? And family, yeah. So, And did they know she was pregnant? They knew she was pregnant, but they didn't know what the outcome of the accident was. So well, they didn't know she was brain dead. Right. So and, I'm, and I'm guessing when you say that, there there's no recovering from that. Whatever have caused well, the trauma, that's now her state. Yeah. So so in California, you you need two exams. So one of when you they come into the ER and you have a CT that just shows the brain swollen beyond capacity and the the brain stems herniated through the foramen blow and so you know pretty much they're brain dead at that point and they're kept alive by you know a breathing machine and uh medications usually your kidneys do some weird thing things and your glucose becomes crazy to control and and then you 12 hours later on no sedation you've got to do certain you know physical tests so they respond to pain is there any kind of pupil response so you do this whole exam and then and then you have to have another study. And usually that's like a blood flow study of the brain. It's a nuclear medicine study 
So it's painless. It's not an angiogram where you got an infused dye in the artery. And if that's no blood flow to the brain, then you know that they're gone. So, and that's what this, this person had. So it's like, what do you guys know? And they're like, oh, well, we just know that she got an accident. She's 21 weeks pregnant. What's going on? What's going on? I'm like, so I go, okay, this is what happened at that hospital for their declaration. We've confirmed those things here. And, um, I mean, I have to say the baby's viable, right? Or alive, but her brain's gone, uh, you know? And I'm, and then the father just dove onto a couch. It was like a, a bench, a couch bench next to him. And I mean, you know, it's just, you go through some hard things. The cameras in the back of people's cars are because there are people who by accident don't realize that their toddler or less has crawled behind the back of the car. And they have, they have no idea. I had a dad that was a carpet layer and he had a big trailer with a big water tank that drove over his eight-year-old. And this is the crazy part of kids. Totally fine. But he's got this tire mark across his chest. And so you can have a cardiac contusion. So we watch them overnight, make sure their heart rate and everything's fine. Alongside, not a single broken rib. Not a single broken wow. they're, they're so pliable that it's just like a, a drum that got pressed without breaking part of the, the drum at all. And and fine. And he said, yeah, I, I, I've got this loop for my driveway in and out. And I just thought I drove over one of my kids' bikes. And it turned out to be his son. So... Yeah, and they did fine. How how do you handle that? And what what role does your faith play when like you're there at some of these people's probably happiest moments because you save somebody, right? Right. Or the worst possible moments. Like I could see her husband realizing what just happened, and he he doesn't even know what to do. He just dives on the couch and just probably breaks down. Right. There's usually a Spock response because that's what I had with my my um, dad when they called me died in a hospital and uh spot uh, responses and like you kind of you're totally you no logic no emotion right okay, no emotion logical explain the facts yeah what what time did he go to i'm sorry we didn't call you like you wanted us to and so it's like okay he's gone now i need to do these things you know there's the there's the work list you know and then suddenly seven seconds later you're like you're, you're just you know bawling your eyes out so but when I knew I wanted to become a general surgeon, I talked to Dr. Fry, who's like one of the world-renowned pancreatic specialists. And I said, Dr. Fry, I really would love to go here. I want to be a general surgeon. You know, can you write me a letter of recommendation? And he asked me, the first question he asked me is, okay, Craig, how are you going to handle a patient you've operated on and they die? And my response was, and I'm sure it was God-given because I've had those. It's like, well, Dr. Fry, I, I would, my only solace is to know that I did the best job I could do on that day. You do the things you can do. This is not, this was not part of my answer, but now in retrospect, my own personal is you do, do the things you can fix and you pray on the ones that are beyond you. So, and God, if he's with you, thank God, then the battle is his. So give it to God. On the other hand, I've had that debate with a patient who had an aortic aneurysm that we used to fix surgically. Now they can stint them. He goes, you know, doc, if you cut into a big artery and I go on the table, that's just God's God's will. And I'm like, well, 
you can say that, but I still take responsibility for this. So it's my hand that did it. It's got to be my hand that's going to fix it with God's help over my shoulder. So, so there were there were fun kind of theological questions about life and death. And are there anything that stands out to you in your career that that was almost like uh, that you just saw God use to even just change your own life? Yeah, totally. Because I, I I battle with how I describe to people of non-faith. Like, I'm not going to say, well, it's not, you know, it was God's will, you know, that, well, what did you do? I mean, you just let it go. So there was one case, it was a, a husband and wife, three girls in the back in a, um, like not a suburban, but it was a GMC SUV. And then he fell asleep after eating, uh, rolled into the American river. And so there were probably 21 miracles that saved this guy's life before he got to me rolls in on a on a a day that's kind of rainy and most people would not be kayaking on the river there was it was a doctor's son on this rainy day who was somewhat first aid you know responder train went over got the girls on top of the car on its side in the water he sees an ambulance well, the truck went into the water into the water it made oh, the wall street journal yeah into the water uh, the girls are standing. One's got a femur fracture. That's how much adrenaline keeps you without having pain. And the mom's fine. Dad is in, unconscious and held up by his shoulder harness from drowning in the water. The guy who responded had the sense not to cut him loose. He had a knife because he would have fallen in. And he was not, not underweight, so it would have been hard to hold him up. He sees the ambulance go by. He runs up this hill to flag it down and here comes a CHP officer right behind that ambulance. He radios that ambulance turns around. They're all rapid water rescue trained. So they respond. One of the girls has a seizure in transport and the other one has the femur fracture. So they go by ambulance to the level one trauma center at UC Davis, which is just down the road from where I am. And then uh, the other girl was fine. Husband and wife come to me. He's got two drop lungs. One's a tension, so it's got so much pressure in it that it's making the blood not return to his heart, and his blood pressure is low. But you say he has two what lungs? Dropped lungs. The, the, he has rib fractures that have punctured the lungs. Okay. So they leak. They leak air into the chest, which makes the lungs deflate, and now they're not. You can't breathe. On top of that, he's got a ruptured spleen that's bleeding. He's got a pelvic fracture. He has this head injury. He's now kind of in and out of it. He's got a femur fracture. I mean, every part of his body is, you know, broken. And um, it's on a weekend. And luckily the OR crew was there. The anesthesia comes down. They put a, an atracheal tube in to breathe for him. I put two chest tubes in to reinflate his lungs. And then we run off to the operating room to take out his spleen. He's also on a blood thinner because he's got a weird genetic defect of factor five, which is part of your clotting proteins, and he's on Coumadin. So he's on this blood thinner, which takes three days to wear off. And uh, I have to operate on him because he's bleeding to death. I take out a spleen, get him to the ICU. I call ortho saying, hey, can you take care of the pelvic fracture and the femur? And he's like, I, I was hoping that he'd say no, and we get him transferred because now he's stable to, to UC Davis for this incredible ICU care that was going to have to come. And he said, no, I can do it. So I like, God's got me, you know, I'm, 
can control the reins. But then in my head, I go, you know what? This guy has had 21 miracles to get to me. And um, there's no way God wants him to die. So I kind of hand back the reins to God. And literally within a half a second, my pager goes off. It's the ICU saying he's fighting the ventilator. His blood pressure is going crazy. And I go, okay, God, I get it. You hand back the reins in a nine gravitational nosedive. And you'd understand that, John. So um, to, 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 it's still in my hands. So I got you, God. Okay, yeah, I see what you did so far. And you want me to do these things. I'm on board. So got him sedated so he wasn't fighting the ventilators. Blood pressure came under uh, control. He needed some blood to basically tune everything up. And he survived. He had a stroke during this time because we couldn't thin his blood until about, well, until we knew his, his head was okay. And then he fully recovered from that. And because he was from uh, San Mateo, which is probably two hours away from where we were, and an ambulance transport would have been not covered, the family said, let's keep him here until he's now out of the ICU and then on the floor. And we got him transferred and ended up going to another trauma center and did fine, fully recovered. Well, so just watching that, um, I'll, I'll never forget. I, you know, after my accident, I had uh, there was an internist at the trauma center I was at. Yeah. And, you know, we had been told by multiple doctors that what happened to me was not medically survivable. And a guy reached out to me a few years ago and said, John, I'd been a doc in Iraq. And what I'd seen, I, I could not reconcile that with, with faith. And I just completely walked away from my faith in God and just left it all behind. Right. But I was there watching you. I was a consulting doc on your case. and But there is no medical explanation at all that you're alive, period, full stop. And just watching you recover and watching where you are now, God used that to show right. me that he's still active. And I, I was so thankful that this guy reached out to me because, you know, my, you know, through what I went through, you know, God, God uses everything. I mean, it's the first thing God said to me when I was in his presence, all things work together for good. Right. Now, when you're in the middle of those things that seem horrible, that's not probably the right thing to say to somebody who's absolutely yeah. in trauma. Right. Um, it takes sometimes a little hindsight and a little bit of context. I can always see it when I look back in it though, but now you did this too because well I mean you've said, you've had so many stories we could probably sit here for hours because you wrote a book called Saved One yes. Trauma Surgeon's True Accounts of the Miracles in His Life and uh, you can get that on Amazon everywhere you can get a book is there any other places to find the book Craig pretty much Amazon's number one and then the, uh, I, I did a Facebook survey to see if I should do an audible and that was one hundred percent yes and then should I do it myself and that was ninety nine point nine percent yes one high school buddy said no get coyote to do it so and that was painful because i'm i'm dyslexic and so reading long sentences it'll take me three times to read that all at once i get one third then two thirds and then three thirds and so um but i got it done so so it is out there in audible that's awesome and you know what with the time that we have left i would love to talk about your journey also with your experience into doing uh, medical mission work and really working with some very underserved communities. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm here to serve and not be served. So, um, and, uh, you know, Luke 1248, the very end of that is, you know, too much that's given much is required. So I just feel, and it, it, 
I tell you, when you just in a in a drive-through Starbucks line buy the person's coffee behind you, they have no idea who gave it to them. That's the way you should gift, I think, if you can anonymously. You just feel this glow in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's God inside you. So I get that. I mean, they're, they're, I, I, the last two trips, I've done 48 surgeries in four and a half days. So 44 hernias, four gallbladders, and uh, laparoscopically, so with a camera, four small incisions in four and a half days. That's like a third of what I do in America in four and a half days. No paperwork. When you say a third, a third of like what you do in a year. In a year, yeah. Wow. That yeah. just shows the need. Yeah, it where, does. Where was this at? In Honduras. They call me the Grey Gringo. So, the um, Grey Gringo. Grey Gringo. And and the, the admiration. I mean, I wasn't, it was a trip I didn't go on right after COVID. That the team was across, someone was in scrubs. I mean, across this river. And this guy is trying to yell. They can't hear him. He swims across the river, which is a risk to come up and tell the guy in scrubs because he had gray hair. Thank you for, and I never get to see the ripple. There's maybe one patient that I did. He thought it was me. And he goes, no, no, that's, that's, uh, that's Craig. That's it. He's, he's not on this trip, but he'll be back. So it's like, and I know if I screw up in that country, I would have been dead by now. Cause I've been going for since 2010. Mm. So <laughs> it's got the highest homicide rate. So if I would have had a complication, I would have been met with, you know, or a family member would have been upset about yeah, the outcome. Yeah, yeah exactly. Is that a concern going down there? There's got to be a lot of prayer going on when you step there, there into is, a situation. Yeah. It's not, it's not like, I mean, in Af I know a lot of people that go to Africa. A lot of the communities you go to are very poor, but but fairly stable. Right. But stepping right. into a, a place that has the poverty and lack of resources, and there's well, no stability. There's a lot of crime and violence and civil. Yeah, most most of the men are walking around with a machete because that's their tool. They cut the wood for the family. They they have in their homes, which is usually just a metal roof or maybe just wood, you know, uh, branches. They've got an open flame, and the top of that is just filled with soot. So our construction teams take the roofs off and get completely covered with soot and put a new metal roof on. Mm. Yeah. But then they still cook underneath that metal roof. So yeah, you get a guy like that, that seems a little old and maybe delirious and he gets on your bus with you and you're like, Oh, if you just started swinging, this is not going to go well. So yeah, there's a risk. I mean, they brought someone, the very front of the building that we use is like a rapid urgent care place and the federales, brought someone in that had been macheted and they watch what you're doing. I mean, but they saw what we did and they said, uh, as they exited, we will protect you if there's any issues. And they're probably quarter of a mile down the road from where we are. So that, that was reassuring, but yeah, sometimes you'll drive up and there'll be a parked, you know, pickup truck with a body in the back and they'll, Oh, the team's here. And then the guy's been dead for days, but yeah, so it's it's weird. There was one time when the first day I see like 80 people in half a day and then schedule that four and a half days right after that beginning of that day. And uh, there was a big funeral procession for one of the drug dealers that was going around. My wife has a, a nonprofit quenching well that puts in clean water. We put one in the because part of that building is also the OB delivery bill gates built a center for the, them to stay a couple of weeks beforehand so they're not birthing on the trail in because they walk everywhere it's amazing how these people live and and they're happy 
you know, I, I always go remember Star Trek it kind of dates me, but you know, we're going to go where no man's gone before and not disturb the habitat, the people, the, whoever that lived there. Right. So and we try to do not do that, but, and there is a huge need. You know, there's a huge dental need. We found now that if, even if you bring a veterinarian, cause they're trying to raise, raise livestock that gets sick and stuff. So that helps too. What, what did you learn about yourself and your kind of your walk with Christ in all this, Craig? That's a good question. I, you know, I think, um, I grew up obviously confirmed, you know, Catholic, went through all the school, believed, but, um, you know, Jesus was not really a huge part of my life going through college or med school. You know, when I really began was, I think, really being a strong follower was my oldest was playing volleyball on a club team. It's like six different high schools. They would have a Bible study and then they go to this one church and, Chelsea said, you know, you need you need to come, Dad. So Steph and I did. And then that's where we had our first mission trip to Honduras. And then that same year we went to Haiti. And it was just obvious that this is what I need to do. And and then began really studying, you know, the word and the Bible and understanding more. And yeah, became more what I call a follower. So I think it was later, even though I believed, I was just checking the box and not not being a servant like I should be. Mm. So what what allowed kind of that shift from checking the box to really kind of serving, not out of obligation, but out of like gratitude? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it was getting the opportunity. I think God just you know he he he's very purposeful. He puts you through things in your life when you look back, and that's what's in the book that were purposeful to make me who I am today. So. And, and um, like I said, my mom, my twisted intestine, although I'd already chosen I wanted to be a surgeon, just things in my life, hindsight's 2020, like you said, that it's obvious God had me in this path and only by his gift did I get to where I am today to do the things that I get to do and that I owe back to humanity. And, and now a uh, further calling, you know, I think this book was motivated by my grandmother and uh you know, it's, it's the same gifts that I think I'm given, which is, you know, healing, empathy, and teaching. And then through those, gifting, because being a surgeon makes a decent income. So, and then part of that's going on these mission trips. So now it's, I think, getting like like what you're doing for me is getting me speaking in front of people to look, give them hope. I mean, the last thing someone loses before they commit suicide is hope. And I'll tell you, women during covid 25 to 43 had a six-fold increase in that. It's the first question when you go to the OBGYN's office for your annual, they're asking about what's your mental health, right? So just hope that we all belong. We're created in God's image perfectly. It's just that we're sinners and we all have to repent those things and and try and be better than what we are. Yeah, there's. I remember after my accident, because I was in the hospital almost two years and Dr. James Dobson gave my wife and I a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And I got to tell you, that book was such a comfort. I think my wife read it over the next couple of years as she was my caregiver three or four times because, like, it doesn't make sense. You're angry that you're even going through it. All these different accidents, we know the power of God. He could prevent them. You're wondering, well, why didn't I get that? Okay, you saved my life, but I still had to go through it. Right. And you know what, though, what I've realized, though, is all of those thoughts and those emotions, they're they're normal. They're OK. And God knows them. And 
there was times I got to tell you, I was angry at God. And it was this weird place that I was so grateful that I was actually still alive, but I was also so angry of what I was going through. And they had, it, it became like this huge stumbling block uh, for me and my faith. And, right. and then I was honestly, I, I didn't want to admit it. I was almost like afraid to admit, like, how do I admit to God? Like I'm mad. Cause like every day the right. pain was, Pain was horrible. Twenty-five surgeries and procedures. Wow. You're talking about Mac. I had a maxwell facial reconstruction surgeon. Yeah. Um. I had to work. You look with good now, by the way. You look good. Yeah. Thank you. Well, my when I went in to do my consult with him, it was funny. My wife, uh, he's you know they take a picture of you and do a grease pencil. Like here's all the stuff we're gonna do and and why we have to do it and stuff. Well, my wife takes a picture of Brad Pitt and slips it up next to mine. And the doctor, he just starts crying. It was funny. Like, you got to have humor when you're going through this stuff. And we all start cracking up. And I say, okay, I know you can't do that, but can you just make me a little prettier? He looks at me, he goes, he goes, yeah, I, uh, I'm not that good. Uh, but you know what? I just want to tell everybody listening, you know what? These things that that Craig is, uh, uh, talking about, God does miracles and, God allows to happen what is happening in the world, right? The currently until Christ comes back, this is, you know, this is the domain of the enemy and we all have free will. Does God get involved? Absolutely. And it takes relationship. It takes prayer. It is a journey and a process. And uh, what I found is every day, just choosing to trust him, choosing to, you know, I I went to him. I finally, finally realized this was going on. I said, I'm so angry. Basically what I heard is I know. And I just, it was like this cathartic prayer and I was sobbing and weeping. And then I went and shared with my kids what was going on. And I apologized to each one of them individually because that anger had been coming out toward them. Plus I had a severe brain injury. So I was not the dad they remembered. So this was really hard for them, but Today, you know, let's just, you know, fast forward from that accident 10 years ago. My what? My marriage is amazing. My three boys are my best friends. I didn't know if that was even possible. But I, I just want to give everybody out there, if you're in the middle of that storm, like right now, it almost feels like, like Craig said, like, like tomorrow does not hold hope. So what's the point? I would tell you that, you know what, hold on to even that little teeny ember of hope that, you know, it may be. Tomorrow could be better than today. And yeah. often for me, it was not. But maybe next week, if I just trust God, could be better than this week. And often that wasn't the case. But when I started saying, you know what, I bet next month could be better. Yeah. And, and always every year was better. And so you just got to live in the moment and trust God and also surround yourself with people that are going to support you. As soon as you find yourself isolating yourself, you got to realize that's that's a huge red flag and there's resources. And if anybody out there is feeling suicidal, there's the suicide hotline, there's crisis tech center, make a call, find somebody. It's They're amazing. They're wonderful. I've gone to those folks, got everybody listening. I've had to reach out to some of those folks because I didn't know how to handle what was going on in my head. And my prayer life didn't seem to be helping. And I had to reach out to a professional. And that then allowed me to work through stuff and reconnect. I just, if anybody's life could be saved out there, that's a big deal. And you know what? Listen to that kind of language, like Craig just said, 
in the language of those people you know that you work with and with your friends, it's so important. Sometimes we might be the only person. I heard a story yesterday. Um, our pastor, we, we had lunch uh, yesterday, and somebody in the congregation told him this. He said, you know what, I'm just going to start listening to God. And he was at a checkout line, and there was some young guy, long hair, the big hooped earrings. He looked kind of, you know, goth, right? Looked really surly and intimidating. But he had a name tag on. And he just felt the need to talk to him. And here's all he said. Hey, Brandon, you're looking good today, man. I see you. God bless. And that was it. That kid, Brandon... Followed up, found this guy two months later when he was going through the grocery store and says, I had my entire suicide plan and I was taking my life that afternoon. And you're the only person that's come through that grocery store that's actually used my name and saw me as a person. And I started thinking, what if I have worth? God used that little sentence to get this. So think about it. Like you said, you know, pay for the coffee. If God puts it on your heart to a little teeny nudge. Right. Say something to that lady. Say something to that guy. Be, smile. Yeah. Do an act of kindness. You don't know what God's going to do and how he how he does it. You don't. Yeah, it's funny because we're going through, we do a daily thing with our two youngest boys, 15, 17. We're watching God's Not Dead. Mm. And so the student that can't write God's Dead for the professor to move on in the class, uh, he goes to a church and he talks to a pastor uh, and he says, you may be, what you just said, you may be the only God that someone else sees. So you need to argue this. And then um, the other thing, we just watched Forrest Gump. So if you want, like, inspiration, there's a lieutenant that Forrest Gump rescues. He loses both legs, and he's pissed because his entire family has died on the battlefield before and had the honor of dying on the battlefield. And Forrest Gump took that away from him and he was angry about that he's angry about his life they didn't have prosthetic legs back then in the 60s and so later on he does and he walks up on Forrest's yard for his wedding and um he's got prosthetic legs he can walk again so he came to forgive him and watch the wedding so yeah good movie to watch well as we wrap up craig how do people get in touch with you connect with you and just any closing thoughts uh, I like to make it simple. Uh, I have a website that's just Craig Thayer, last name's T's and Tom, H-A-Y-E-R. So craigthayer.net. You can find me on all the social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. You'll find my book on that. It's a simple link uh, if you want to. It's on Amazon. Audible is an Audible that you can find on Amazon as well. Final thought. Um, you know, it's what John said. You are created in God's image. Uh, whatever your faith is, um, you know, God's working with you and that's okay. I mean, look how long it took me to be, you know, more, a more active faith driven person. So don't give up on yourself. Uh, just never give up. And there's always hope. Love that, man. Well, keep up the great work. And uh, I, I look forward to our next conversation. There's some people uh, I mentioned before we got started, I need to connect you to that are doing similar things around the world. They're collaborating to fund some of these mission trips even more fully. Yeah. And, and, you know, like, hey, bring a vet- veterinarian, right? But you right. got to find the funds to, you know, cover right. some of that. So right. if anybody wants to get involved in medical missions, reach out to also Craig. I'll guarantee, I know he didn't ask, but 
anybody that has a little bit extra to add, that money is going directly to changing somebody's life who you will never meet in a country that is um, in, in bad shape. And that's that's what uh, part of what Craig does today too. So buddy, thank you so much. Tank, great spending time with you. <laughs> it's good to be great with you, John. Thank you so much.